You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is actually about Jimmy Moore, today's guest. Jimmy never missed a day of school from seventh to twelfth grade. And it's kind of interesting because about seven and a half million students in the U.S. are chronically absent from school each year. People who miss that amount of school are at severe risk of dropping out, And research shows that those kids who attend school regularly in their primary education years, like Jimmy did, are far more likely to read well by the critical milestones. They test better on formalized testing. Who cares? Uh, And graduate and go on to college. So I guess, Jimmy, good for you, man. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. I did all those things. And you graduated from college at age 20. So you're, you're like walking evidence. N equals one evidence of many things. In 2004, you started podcasting and you lost a little bit more weight than I did, like 180 pounds of weight, went off prescription drugs for cholesterol, high blood pressure, and respiratory problems. And I wanted you on the show to talk about your new book, something I've actually referenced in a couple things already, your book called Cholesterol Clarity. You know, what the HDL is wrong with my numbers. And this book is amazing. And it really clearly makes the case that maybe focusing on cholesterol exclusively the way we've been doing so much lately leads you to make the wrong dietary decisions and everything else. Right. Along the way, have you really interviewed 900 top health, top health experts? Uh, it's probably closer to a thousand now, Dave. If you combine all my podcasts and the different guests that I've had on, there were a bunch of uh, interviews, um, podcast episodes where I had two interviews in the same podcast. So, uh, yeah, it's it's true, man. I've talked to everybody, in, including the great Dave Asprey. Well, I do recall you had a conversation with a guy named Furman that was particularly interesting on your podcast. Uh, John McDougal. Was it McDougal or was it Furman? That you oh, Furman, Furman refuses to come on my show, man. <laughs> I, I personally invited him. I said, dude, you know, I'm totally respectful to my guests. 
you know, I don't care that we disagree. That's actually a, a plus because I like having conversations. But no, I got John McDougal. Now, mind you, I've had Dr. Dean Ornish on before. I've had, um, you know, bunches of vegans on before. Yeah. But John McDougal looked like a fun one to talk to and uh, fun he was, but in, in more ways than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, he and I had quite the discussion and it and it turned kind of nasty. Uh, he got real personal yeah. against me. It, Google Jimmy Moore, John McDougal, and you'll get the best laugh you've ever done. In fact, uh, for fun, Dave, it's about a half an hour conversation. And it's real painful to listen to for a lot of people. I threw it up on YouTube. I sped it up. So I said... <laughs> The, the chipmunk version. So if you go on YouTube and type in the chipmunk version, more McDougal, you'll find. <laughs> That's brilliant. And I got to say, one of the things I like about your podcast, Live and La Vida Low Carb, is that you're a nice guy. Like you're respectful, you're polite. You don't, you know, people sometimes you know, try and, and do personal attacks on you, but generally speaking, like you keep your cool and it's not always that easy to do. So, um, 900 people, including people you disagree with. And, uh, You've you've always been a gentleman, and that's absolutely bulletproof and something I really respect. Thank you. Now, you've already been on Bulletproof uh, Radio. Uh, this was probably 50 episodes or so ago, and I asked you for a story last time. But this time, I want you to tell me a story about something that helped influence who you are today. Something that helped influence who I am today? Yeah. So I used to work for a major uh, food company. I won't say their name, but uh, you would recognize the name. And I was the person that answered all the emails for that company. So I would get probably 3,000 emails with this company a day. It was a pretty large company. Wow. And so getting all these emails, and I was the one person in the whole company that answered every single one. Now, obviously, with a company, you've got a lot of pat answers that you're cutting and pasting and all that kind of stuff. Still. But that taught me so much, Dave, about how important it is to respond to people that now Jimmy Moore, the low-carb guy, the Live in La Vida low-carb show host, and the people that, you know, people know me for that. Yep. Now I'm like anal retentive about answering emails and I get personally probably upwards of five to 600 emails a day. And I'm like, that's nothing, man. I used to answer 3,000. So I'm very grateful for that, uh, I guess, part of my history that kind of taught me the importance of responding. And that's one thing people always say uh, when they meet me in person is, oh my gosh, you're the most responsive person that I've ever had on an email. You know, some people get emailed and uh, I know a lot in the paleo community, they like to, you know, well, I'll answer emails this time to this time during the week. And it's like, you know, that's great, but there's just something memorable when you respond to somebody personally in a timely fashion. And, and that, that job really taught me that. Well, I'm blown away because I'm struggling with that as well. I'm getting hundreds of emails and I, some of them are very heartfelt. Like, you know, you changed my life. Uh, you know, I got my brain back and yep. I imagine you get a lot of those too. And right. I'm always like, I, I want to reply to everyone, but I probably don't have the same rigor that you do in that, uh, <laughs> even though I would like to. You will, man. You can become a bulletproof uh, emailer. An email ninja. That's my plan. <laughs> now, I've, I've known you in person. You know, we, we've met several times at different conferences we all go to about nutrition, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And I've seen you thin and I've seen you less thin. So it's been 10 years since you just like dumped masses of weight kind of in a similar way that I did. What what have you gone through in the course of keeping this weight off? You know, it always fluctuates for everyone who, whether they're fat or thin, you know, your weight isn't stable, but you've learned some interesting things along, along the way. So kind of walk me through that. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating that people expect you when you lose weight, whatever that bottom line weight was, you're just supposed to stay there the rest of your life. I've, yeah. I've never understood how that works. Um, and, and it really doesn't make sense even when you kind of stop and think, think about it from a common sense standpoint. Why would you stay there? Your body's going to fight you tooth and nail to get back to homeostasis. Homeostasis for me, uh, circa pre-2004, was 400 pounds. And so, you know, I'm fighting against that. And I know you and I talked about this when, when we were talking about my last book, Cholesterol Clarity. You know, we talked about maybe some of that metabolic damage can improve over time. And I do believe that still, Dave. 
but I still believe your body's still fighting you tooth and nail. So you have to make strategies that will help mm-hmm. you get there, which is why the ketogenic diet for me has had to step in where low carb alone wasn't enough. So you cut carbs, but you had to go specifically ketogenic. And yeah. so one of the things that I experienced when I was losing my weight was I lost 50 of the 100 pounds I needed. And then the rest of it just stuck, like right around the midsection. Yeah. And it just wouldn't go and it wouldn't go. And even though I was doing very, very low carbs, I still, I, I only a couple times when this is going back more than 10 years, only a couple times did I get a pink stick when I would pee on a keto stick. Yeah. Right. And, and it used to just drive me crazy. I'm like, maybe I'm not trying hard enough and like I'll eat even less vegetables. And my problem was one that I think you're pretty familiar with, excessive protein, right? Right. Talk a little bit about what you learned about protein. Man, oh man, we have always heard that a low-carb diet is one that is high protein as well. The media loves, you know, smacking us with, oh, that high-protein, low-carb diet, and and they'll even assign it to Dr. Atkins, who, if you ever read his book, it was never, ever high in protein. It was always high in fat. So, when I read The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance in 2012 by uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Ullick and Steve Finney, that was the first time I really ever got the whole idea of protein being an issue. Ullick and Finney wrote extensively about this, and I had heard about it from different people over the years. Dr. Ron Rosedale, I know, who was yeah. one of my experts in Keto Clarity, uh, he mentioned that for years he's been talking about that. And, and the whole gluconeogenesis, that word's been out there a w- little while. When I went to a conference in 2006, a low-carb conference, they were announcing all these uh, different um, scientific you know, updates. And that G word kept coming out. And I was like, I've never heard of that before. And so this is not new. Yeah. What's new about it is some of the ways to implement it. You know, we've been told just eat low-carb and that's ketogenic. Uh-uh. Moderating down that protein and ramping up the fat. I mean, probably more fat, you know, bulletproof coffee really has been a godsend to a lot of people to get them into ketosis. You know, and and I tell people this, I love you, man, but I hate coffee. I even hate your coffee. No offense. I just don't like coffee. So I would just much rather eat the Kerrygold butter straight up and and I'm good or with a little bite of food. Uh, So Yeah, moderating the protein has been probably the biggest mistake most people make when they start a low-carb diet. Chicken breast is no longer a health food. Stop eating it thinking you're eating something healthy for you. It's just giving you more problems than you want. It's kind of funny. In In the Bulletproof Diet book, I write about some of the sources of food cravings. And I tell you, if you eat just protein with no fat and no carbs you're going yeah. to have a ton of food cravings because the body's like, what? I, I got to process this in the liver and I wanted right. some glucose or some ketones so I might have a little bit of mitochondrial fuel to do it. Yep. So then you end up kind of getting cranky. Um, have you noticed that around high protein, low fat, calorie limited dieters? Is there a personality change that happens? Speaking of uh, John McDougall, you know, and I say that in jest, but I mean, think about it. Think about these people that, that have those anger issues yeah. and, and I've often talked, Uh, thought out loud uh, with my wife. I talked to her and and I say, you know, I wonder how many of these like people that are involved in school shootings and some of these other things that are just horrendous acts that they've lost their mind. I wonder how many of them have fat deprived brains Uh, and that's what caused them to do those things. I'm certain of it, Jimmy. Not that, that that's what caused them to do things, but I'm certain that there are people walking around with fat deprived brains and it affects your higher level cognitive function first. And in fact, right. a lot of the first chapter in my book is specifically about that. And one of the, the crazy things that I discovered in the course of, of the research uh, on the Bulletproof Diet is that it takes 600 days to replace half your cell membranes, just, wow. the, just the lipids in them. So even if you like start drinking Bulletproof coffee or eating butter or w- whatever, it's going to take you like two years before your, your cell membranes function the way they should for right. just half of them. And you know, to get 75% is four years. You've been doing this for like 10 years. So you've probably got a very different cell membrane structure than the average American at this point. Sure. And, and it's only been since 2012 that I've gotten purposeful in being ketogenic. And so, yeah, I'm probably, probably about halfway through that process now, uh, <laughs> ramping up the fat. Because I've always eaten what I thought was pretty high fat. 55% by every definition would be a high fat diet. 
but maybe it wasn't enough. And for me, it was not enough. I had to get to closer to 80, 85 percent before I fully started seeing those benefits that the ketosis would give me. Are you worried about your gut health? I mean, one of the things that the uh, the group of, of resistant starch experts would say is that if you eat that much fat, bacteria in the gut aren't really good at eating fat. So you're going to not have enough lactobacilli and the end of the world is near. And by the way, I'm not opposed to resistant starch. Like I, right. I've used resistant starch after antibiotics. I actually use it in the evening sometimes with good results. So this isn't right. anti-resistant starch, but were you worried that much fat was going to mess up the bacteria in your gut? If, if somebody wants to eat resistant starch, I'm certainly not against them. I actually had Richard Nikolai host yeah. a show on my podcast. Yeah. And so I'm definitely not against it. For me personally, um, I have not seen the benefits um, that you know people have been talking about. I haven't personally tested it yet. So I can't really say yay or nay on that. All I can say is um, it, we do address this in Keto Clarity, by the way. We have a question, a frequently asked questions section right in the middle, kind of like Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. Uh, <laughs> open up the middle of Keto Clarity and you get FAQ, uh, Keto FAQ. And so in there, one of those questions that we address is this very one, uh, can you mess up your gut microbiota? I mean, it's one that, and it's one of many criticisms that are put out there that we address in the book, but that's one that it's just not showing in the science. There was a study that was cited in January of this year. Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but basically it showed that a very low carb, very high fat ketogenic diet actually improved the gut bacteria. So I think sometimes these memes get out there and people just latch on to them and believe those just as much as they would a randomized controlled clinical trial. The two are not the same. Let's see it studied a little more before we start jumping to conclusions. Yeah, I, I, I did jump to a conclusion on resistant starch and a high-fat diet. And the conclusion is try it for a couple of months and see what happens. Exactly. <laughs> That's the conclusion. Right. I know some people who like their gut bacteria look better, but their allergies went away. When I right. ate most resistant starch, my allergies got worse. So there's a lot of personalization here. How do you address that criticism of, of the things you're recommending in Keto Clarity where people say, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm different. Like, are there core principles that are valid for everyone? Like, how much variance do you expect? Right. And, and thank you for that question, because this is something people are like, well, what's the macronutrient ratio that's ideal to get into <laughs> ketosis? I'm like, heck, if I know, people have to get off this one size fits all formula. One thing that we really push hard, and I know it's the heart of what you do, is the whole concept of testing yourself. You really have to test. What I love about Ashley Tudor's work is oh, yeah. she's always talking about doing all these experiments. She's, she's more of a madman at doing experiments than you are. Yeah, I have ketonics, actually. <laughs> Wait, um, if you're, can if I you're have mine? Can you bring me my ketonics? If you're listening uh, in your car, um, I have this new USB-powered thing called ketonics. It's a, a thing you blow into to measure your ketone levels. So we were just talking about self-measurement, so I'm just waving it around to, to tease Jimmy, basically. <laughs> but yeah, Ashley Tudor was also a guest on, on my show. She wrote Sweet Potato yep. Power, and she's... Uh, She's a total sweetheart. She's just a really brilliant uh, person and yeah. uh, um, very, very quantitative. So I, whenever I get someone on the show who's just measured the crap out of stuff, um, it's like hats off to them. I, right. I tend to be in the middle. I'm like, track what you hack. So right. if I'm working on it, I'm going to track it. But I found that I was sometimes in the early days of doing this, I was trying to track everything and I just got stressed by that. So now I track sleep and all that because, well, it's built into my mattress. It doesn't matter. I just, I wake up and I get an email report of how I slept. I didn't have to like wow. plug something into my forehead. So. Yeah. So you asked about the formula and the formula is this first you, it's a three legged stool. First, you got to find your carbohydrate tolerance level. Okay. So that's going to vary from person to person. And there's various ways you can do that. A blood glucose monitor certainly helps with that. You can see how you respond to any given stimuli, any given food, um, another way is something we talked about the last time I was on the show talking about cholesterol clarity is testing your triglycerides. And if those are over 100, you're probably eating too many carbs as well. So look at your triglycerides number. If it's under 100, you're spot on for your um, carbohydrate tolerance level. So that's a big one. Did, did your carbohydrate tolerance change? It has slightly changed. When I first started, it was probably 20 to 25 grams was all I could handle. And then I was gaining uh, and having health issues. I've found now I can do about 
30, maybe 35 grams. And I'm talking total carbohydrates. The net carbs. Wow. Including broccoli carbs. Including broccoli carbs. So, uh, and I love avocados and those have a whole lot of carbs when you eat the whole one. So at least when you eat 30 to 35, it's got a whole lot of carbs. (laughs) Yeah. 30 to 35 avocados is very manly. I've never eaten that many. So hats off. (laughs) <laughs> no, just, no, no, no. I know. You're just, hilarious. <laughs> I would try, though. I love but, um, um, hey, hey, you know what? If, if Harley Johnstone, a Hadurian writer, can have 30 bananas a day, I can have 30 avocados a day. You know what? You're going to inspire somebody to start a blog, yes. 30 avocados a day. That's brilliant. With bulletproof coffee, of course. You are, you are so smart. <laughs> and I got to say, the saddest thing that happened to me in the last day was when in Albuquerque, New Mexico airport, I was down there filming for my Toxic Mold documentary. I was trying to bring onto the airplane a little half pint of guacamole with New Mexico green chili, and the TSA yeah. stole my guacamole. And oh. I'm still wounded by this. I was like, can I, can I please just eat it? No. <laughs> anyway, sorry to take you off track there, Jimmy. No, but you're good. You're good. Avocados so, are near and dear to my heart. So you were saying 35 grams of net carbs. <laughs> you, had, you had me at avocado. Yeah, so starting off with the carbohydrate tolerance, and mine's right at 30 to 35 grams. So... Then you move to the second leg in that stool, and that's protein. And we've already talked about this, why you need to moderate down protein. Um, I started at 120 just to see, 120 grams, just to see how I do, and then found I didn't do as well with the ketone production, so I kept bringing it down and down and down until it got to 80 grams on a a non-exercise day, and I was doing well in that level of protein. So 30 to 35 grams of carbohydrate, 80 to 100 grams, closer to the 100 on like lift days. And uh, and then the rest, the third leg is saturated and monounsaturated and of course omega-3 fats. Um, and I love using the upgraded uh, brain oil. I love that stuff. It will artificially raise your ketone levels oh my for a goodness. few hours. Oh no, uh, Really, really high. <laughs> uh, but if you want an energy boost for like a workout, dude, use that stuff because it really, really works. And um, I, I love it. But my go-to fat, obviously, is butter. Yeah, uh, I love grass-fed butter. Um, I love full-fat meats and cheeses. I love cream. Uh, those are all saturated fat. Uh, coconut oil, all mm-hmm. saturated fats. And then monounsaturated fats, you've got the avocados we were just talking about, avocado oil, coconut or um, uh, macadamia nut oil, and olive oil. Those are all really good monounsaturated fats. And so Doing that, finding your carb tolerance, getting to your protein threshold and eating fats to satiety. And then the fourth element in in that, if you want to add a fourth one, is make sure you're testing to see where you stand. Don't assume that that's ketotic and producing ketogenesis. You really need to test to know where you stand and don't do it with urine ketone tests. Now, that's a big one. So a lot of people listening to this are probably going with ketone. Uh, you know, what, what, what just happened? There's a lot of tech there. So we're talking right. about the fat-burning bodies in your, in your blood. And this happens when you don't eat a lot of carbs. Your body uses this alternative fuel source, and, and it makes you feel really good as one of the side effects, including losing weight being the other one. Yep. So if you think you're doing this but you're not, what happens when people – say, get really, really into ketosis? Like like when you're using a blood stick meter where you can measure this, how how far into ketosis do you go? Yeah, so the, can we talk about the different ways to measure yeah, that way people, people kind of know what that. we're talking about? Because uh, last time I was on, I know live on the air, I did a live demonstration yeah. uh, of the blood, but let's talk about the three. Let's talk about uh, the keto sticks, the urine ketone sticks that people have traditionally been measuring ketosis. I know Dr. Atkins promoted it in his books and one of my experts in the book, uh, we had 22 total experts plus myself and my co-author, Dr. Eric Westman. So 24 people that kind of know what we uh, are saying about ketosis. One of them is Jackie Eberstein. She worked with Dr. Atkins and she said, Everybody who came in used the urine sticks. Well, that's because in the 1970s and 80s, that's all they had. They did have some newer technologies come in the 90s where they could temporarily test for breath uh, ketones. But now here in 2014, we have uh, three different ways that we can measure. So there's three main ketone bodies uh, in the body. The first one is the one in the urine that the keto sticks measure for. That's called acetoacetate. So acetoacetate, when you first start off, if you're trying nutritional ketosis and you're like, hey, this sounds really cool, Jimmy and Dave, I want to try it, you start off, those are probably okay in the first couple of weeks. So get you some, there's like 50 of them for 15 bucks down at your pharmacy and you pee on it and goes pink to purple to black to whatever. 
um, it shows you if you're burning fat for fuel and at least spilling it over into your, your urine. Well, what happens though, Dave, that's disturbing to some people is they start losing those urine ketones despite doing all the right things and restricting their carbs and moderating their protein and eating fat out the wazoo. They don't see urine ketones anymore. It doesn't happen in everybody, but it happens in a certain segment of the population. Happened to me. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So, and it doesn't happen to me. So it just shows you there's variability there. So what's going on? Well, the acetoacetate is being converted into beta hydroxybutyrate. That's the key ketone, the ketone body. I was trying to say the key ketone, the key ketone body in the blood is beta hydroxybutyrate. So it transfers this acetoacetate into BHB, beta hydroxybutyrate. So that's why measuring for blood ketones is so much more accurate if you're gonna be measuring for ketosis. Right now, it's probably still the gold standard for measuring for ketosis. Now, you uh, waved this little thing in front of the screen while ago. I'm showing the ketonics again. There is new technology that's on the way, more than just ketonics, but this is the uh, only one right now that's on the market that measures for the third ketone body. It's in the breath called acetone. And so acetone uh, has shown in a couple of good studies, matches very well with beta hydroxybutyrate levels. So you could prick your finger and if that doesn't bother you and you can test blood, by all means do that. But it's very expensive, unfortunately. But if you want a cost-effective way, this ketonics device is a hundred bucks. It's developed by a guy in Sweden who has epilepsy. He wanted to do the ketogenic diet to control his seizures. And so he developed this thing because nothing like this uh, existed. But there are some really cool ones on the way. Maybe you've heard about these, Dave, maybe not. But there's a lady out in Arizona who's got a company called Envoy Technologies, and they're developing an FDA-approved breath ketone device. They're trying to do it the right way. FDA approved, doesn't that just yeah, mean it costs, it costs three times as much and you're not allowed to say how it works? I, I totally And, and what's funny is that somebody on another podcast I was on said, let's see, the FDA is involved in something you blow into. It's not a food. It's not a drug. Why are they involved again? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and so, uh, so that's on the way. Hopefully by this fall, I actually was a part of the study uh, of that device. I haven't seen the device because I'm a part of the study and they're trying to get FDA approval, but hopefully we'll see that one. And of course, I'll share all about it when that wow. happens. I, I'm excited. And then the other one is in Japan. They're working on an iPhone app that you have this little device that plugs in and you blow right into your phone and it shows you a reading right there on, on your screen and keeps graphs and all this. So really exciting developments. I predict in Keto Clarity that by the year 2016, we'll be seeing breath ketone meters on store shelves. So in my view of the future, and I'm asking, I'm assuming it's yours, you'll go to Walgreens and you can buy a glucose meter Yep. Where you stick blood in and you can buy a breath meter for ketones. And they yep. have a few other ones. There's you know, cholesterol measurement kits and all that. But you think it'll be as ubiquitous for people to measure ketones as it is for them to measure blood sugar? I think if this idea of ketosis catches on a little more in the research realm and books like mine hopefully help to you're talking about your this. You're talking about your new book, Keto Clarity, not your first book, Cholesterol Clarity, even though you I switched them at the beginning <laughs> of the podcast because I guess... I, I, I ignored that part, but I, <laughs> I I saw the alarm in your eyes. I'm like, what the heck? But yeah, I, I roll with it, my friend. I roll with they it. They both ended in clarity. They both started with a cuss sound. Keto listen. clarity is your new book, by the way. All right, everyone listen. Keto clarity. <laughs> listen, when you've interviewed John McDougall and gone through that process, nothing surprises you on any podcast again. So. <laughs> I mean, you guys start feeling sorry for him at some point. We're sitting there ripping on the poor guy. I'm sure he means well. He's just wrong. Okay. Ah. <sighs> What were we talking about now? We were talking about carb levels a little while ago. There you go. Yeah. So Now, I've been experimenting with adding more carbs back in my diet, partly because sure. of the, the resistance to arch. And I've been doing it only, only in the evenings because of, there's a lot of research around sleep quality. And I'm maybe first and foremost a sleep hacker. And that yeah. quality of sleep is, isn't something that I've always had by a long shot. Uh, and I've been learning more about the reasons why and why I end up noticing all these little hacks because I probably never was a gifted sleeper. So having some carbs at night, like the honey trick I wrote about three years ago, where you have a little yep. bit of honey, I'm like, well, take yep. MCT with it to keep your ketones up. You don't want to lose your ketones, but you might just want a tinge of glucose. Right. It, it's led me down a path. I can do 100 grams of like white rice at wow. night. And of course, I'm not in ketosis in the morning, but I don't gain weight. 
and I feel good, and I don't have any other signs of problems. My fasting blood sugar is 86. Uh, but in the morning, I have bulletproof coffee. And a half hour after I do that, and I'm using the brain octane oil, um, I'll measure my ketones, and they're like 0.8 or 1. So I'll go from 0 to 1 in a half hour, which technically I don't think you're supposed to be able to do. But when it you're using really that, fast, yeah, <laughs> it does. And, and then I end up feeling really good all the time. So I end up having, at the same time, glucose and ketones present so that the mitochondria in the brain or elsewhere that like glucose can have it and those that like ketones can have them. And this isn't a physiologically natural state necessarily, but damn, it feels good. What do you think about that? So I'm not a big fan of necessarily some of these ways to artificially raise ketones as your normal sense uh, of getting into ketosis. I think if you do it nutritionally, Dave, yep. you're probably gonna reap other benefits that you wouldn't necessarily get doing it through MCT oil or through ketone esters or through beta-hydroxybutyrate salts. You know, Those are all great tools for people that are using it therapeutically, like for cancer or Alzheimer's or maybe even exercise performance. I think you need to try to do it as nutritionally as you can. Uh, although you say doing that, your blood sugar stays normal. One of the highlights that a lot of people do when they raise it artificially is they have high levels of blood glucose at the same time as high levels of blood ketones. And I don't think that's as good a state as the elevated levels of blood ketones that come from nutrition while simultaneously the blood glucose comes down into the 70s, maybe even 60s, naturally because of the elevated levels of ketones. So without getting super technical for everyone listening to this, and we are getting kind of technical, but this is just too fascinating not to. What we're, we're really doing is we're talking about what is the optimal high performance state for people who want to lose weight and feel good all the time. Right. And there's a very valid argument that says exactly what you're saying. Like, pretty much don't eat carbs or eat very, very, very few of them. And I've had guests, including you on the show, including like Bree Schaff, you know, world champion athletes who are just kicking ass. When I went on basically one serving of green vegetables a day, tons and tons of fat and meat to try and replicate an Eskimo-like diet, I ended up within three months, I developed new food allergies. I had super dry eyes. I, my sleep was ruined. I was waking up nine times a night. Mm -hmm. And what happened is that my gluconeogenesis wasn't very efficient. My ammonia levels were high and I couldn't make enough mucus to line the, my gut or even to make tears and, and uh, like boogers. So it, this is also one of those things where there's a set of people who just love that. And then there's another set of people who probably, at least on some some refuel basis require some carbs to make mucus and to do other basic functions. How would you recommend people know like, what's that number for them? Is there a process that you went through? So I haven't experienced any of those kinds of things. I'm not saying they don't happen. I'm just saying I personally have not seen them happen. And I had a lot of practitioners amongst those 22 experts. And of course, Dr. Westman is a practitioner. And I asked every single one of them that very question of what about all these side effects that are talked about when you go very low carb ketogenic. And invariably, they all said, we're not seeing this as a normal part of our patient population. It's just, it's just not happening, at least to our patients. So I'm not saying anybody's lying here. I'm just saying maybe let's take a look a little closer at other factors beyond the ketogenic aspect that might have contributed to this. We did address the, the mucin issue. I know Norgid Gaudis cited a study that we included in, in the book as well. We tried to address all those complaints <laughs> that have been put out there. I know the hypothyroidism one is a big one that's brought up quite often in the paleo community. You know, and it just breaks my heart that there's some people that are turned off to even trying a ketogenic diet because of the supposed calamities that happen that probably may or may not ever happen to that, you know, to any individual that would try it. Yeah. If you haven't tried uh, doing a month of ketosis, honestly, you probably haven't lived <laughs> because <laughs> you're going to find your brain can do stuff that maybe it only does on Bulletproof Coffee because one of the reasons Bulletproof Coffee feels so good is that when you make it with the brain octane oil, you experience a brief period of what it feels like to be in ketosis because your brain's like, that's what I wanted all this time. Right. Right. And it, it's kind of a gateway drug to ketosis, you could say. And what 
I ended up recommending and what I'm doing with the Bulletproof Diet in the book is saying anytime you get the body in a certain state and you try and hold it there forever, it starts to get used to it. It starts to resist. So you want to cyclically go into ketosis, go into ketosis, but come out once a week, you know, eat something. Don't eat a bunch of garbage like, you know, cherry turnovers and, you know, no John Kiefer references there. <laughs> Uh, I, I was trying to remember who it was who was talking about cherry turnovers. It was John Kiefer. It was John Kiefer. And <laughs> He's it's one like, of my experts. <laughs> oh, is he? Okay. And, and it's it's one of those things where, okay, you know, you, you could eat trash with bad oils and gluten and all that stuff, or you could just allow your blood glucose to come up without increasing the toxic burden on your on your body. And when I look at that kind of logic and I look at what happens with people, and some of my clients, uh, by the way, have after two months of essentially very low carbs, like my sleep quality goes away or like my, my zest for life is down. Like I just, I feel like I'm lacking. So then they have a few carbs and they feel better. So it, it definitely works out, works out that it's different for different people. Do you know, is there an optimal amount of time you would go in ketosis before you flip out? Or are you one of those like six months at a time kind of guys? Well, I, I stay in ketosis practically all the time and don't have these issues. And I wonder, Dave, and I'm just having a conversation here, I'm wondering some of these issues that come up, maybe it's a hypocaloric state. Maybe you're, you know, as much as we wanna say we're not fat phobic anymore, sometimes people say, well, I know I shouldn't have too many calories, so they cut down on the amount of fat they consume, which is a bad idea when you're trying to be ketotic. So you wanna up the fat to get adequate calories. And so, I think yeah. that might be part of the issue that sometimes people have those those bad feelings uh, when they go this way and they're not testing for ketosis. They're just assuming that they're low carb yeah. and that they are automatically in ketosis. Uh-uh, you got to use one of those three methods we talked about earlier in order to know where you stand. So, uh, you know, I have a whole lot more questions. I would love, and I'm again, I'm not saying it doesn't happen that this, uh, you know, would cause problems for some people. I believe that does happen. But I think it's, again, one of those things you need to test. Yeah, I think 30 days is a fair amount of time. I would say at least three months. Give it hardcore. Give it all your go. Be adequate calories. Don't overdo it on the protein. You know, find your carb tolerance level. Do all those things that we talk about in the book. And if you do that for 90 days and you see no benefit, by golly, try something else. (laughs) Amen. All right. Now I'm going to ask you a couple of personal questions, Jimmy. Sure. Do you still have keto breath? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Keto breath, just so all of you know, the first time you go into ketosis, you're going to get the worst breath ever. And what's going on there is you, your body stores a lot of toxins in fat, and you, you're you actually burning that. In fact, if you lose weight too quickly, it can increase the load on your liver. It can give you brain fog and make you tired, give you bad skin for a little while. And this is uh, one of the things that contributes to this kind of bad breath. And the reason I asked you is my suspicion was that you didn't, and I don't either when I go in ketosis. It goes away entirely because when once your system's running clean, this this dragon breath that's really quite horrible actually just stops. Well, one thing I will say is I can tell when I'm in ketosis from my mouth. Yeah. And that freaks people out. They're like, What what's in your mouth? <laughs> it's like kind of a thick feeling. It's not like it's it's anything tangible per se, but like on the tongue, you can kind of feel it. When I wake up in the morning, and I'm getting ready to blow on this meter, I can almost predict what my level of ketosis will be based on how I feel in my mouth. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it's. I don't know if there's words for it, but there's a feeling of ketosis. And once you've measured it enough times, you just know, like, yeah, I'm in ketosis. I'm in mild ketosis or, or not. Yep. Uh, and I would say go into ketosis and play around with this until you know what it feels like. And that advice is the same, whether you're heavy whether you're not heavy, whether you're a woman right. or a man at a different age, this is a state that your body clearly can run in. There's more than enough evidence for it. And it can change the quality of your life dramatically and lower the risk of a bunch of diseases. So it, it's it's a really good idea. And uh, there's nothing wrong with jumping out and going right back in. But if you jump out and you eat a bunch of gluten, the next day you're, right. you're going to have cravings. You're going to eat more gluten and you'll end up eating bread for two weeks before you get fat and your pants don't fit and then you feel bad about it. And the good news is you can get back in rather easily once you've gotten out. Uh, if you've been well keto adapted and you have one, you know, real food quality, you know, safe starch meal, you will get back into ketosis very quickly uh, <laughs> just from that one meal. But if you have cherry turnovers, sorry, John Kiefer, but uh, that could be problematic. Yeah, I, you know, I had a really hog wild. 
I had a really hard time with that, uh, that kind of discussion line. I'm like, ah, oh, like it's fine to say you want to eat carbs at night, but like raw honey has more glycogen in the liver or there are just clean sources of carbs. And that matters uh, as much, at least in my experience of, of working with people and, and in my own research, you know, not eating a bunch of toxins and MSG and, and bad oils is, is as important as eating enough fat. You're here. Well, Back in 2004, Canada, a country where I'm grateful to live now, eliminated food packaging that said low carb or no carb because they said there's no reason low carb stuff is bad. What would you do to food labeling in the U.S. or in Canada that would maybe help people understand what we're talking about? I think if we put a graphic on the front packaging of every single packaged food, that had teaspoons of sugar in this product. And it would have physically a spoon with sugar kind of all overflowing in it and divide the carbohydrate content by four. Because really most carbohydrates are gonna turn to some form of sugar in the body once they're consumed. So if something has 48 grams of sugar in it, I wanna see a little package that has 12 spoons that are all lined up and that's what you're consuming in this product. I think that would be such a visual that people could not ignore. You wouldn't line them up in the shape of a skull? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> so that is that is something that I hope happens. Right now, it, it's been such a problem because you see these things that are packaged by mostly big food conglomerates. And lately I saw Hot Pockets advertised as protein and they're actually jumping around singing a song on TV saying, look, yeah, protein, like there's, there's some sort of like proto ham in there made out of algae. <sighs> God knows what it is. But like protein, protein, they're like doing the protein dance. And I'm like, and what kind of other crap is in there? And right. of course, there's a ton of sugar in there as well as every bad fat they could find. I wish truth in advertising would require these companies that promote like a protein thing, like Cheerios now has a Cheerios protein. Have you seen that nonsense on the store shelf? So you look at it, what is the vast majority of what's in it? It's not the protein, it's carbohydrate. So we should, should they be like trumpeting the refined carbohydrates they have in these products? I think so, if it's truth in advertising. Yeah, chocolate frosted protein bombs are still not good for you. Chocolate frosted protein bombs. That's it's funny. a Calvin and Hobbes reference for those of us. Yes, who still yes, remember I it. caught that one. Good, good. <laughs> one of the other things that that drives me nuts when I see it just in in the media is when people just talk about fat. Yeah. And this goes back even to Atkins. You know, Atkins wasn't that precise on the type of fat. Exactly. And, and on the bulletproof diet, I'm like, look, at least half your calories come from fat, and ideally, like seventy percent. And of the fat you eat, at least half of it is saturated. Right. And most of the time, we sort of see this polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, if you're lucky on a label, but they're trying to minimize saturated fats. And you don't know the length or type of saturated fat. It's entirely hidden. And it turns out the shorter the length in general, the more the, the, more the benefits you're getting. So I would love it if it didn't just say the amount of fat, right. if it said the type of fat in a little bit more detail. And you just never see that. Well, and we got to stop groups like the American Heart Association putting out uh, radio ads. I heard one just on my radio earlier driving in the car where they're still saying, you know, we need like a health meter when you're buying foods. And when you buy healthy fats like canola oil and corn oil and and replace those, have those as a replacement for your butter and those other unhealthy saturated fats. So we're getting kind of this reinforcement of the negative message about what kind of fats are healthy. You know, in, in, in uh, Keto Clarity, we're quite adamant about high fat, but I'm quite adamant that we're talking about saturated and monounsaturated fats primarily. Of course, omega-3 fats are in there as well not vegetable oils, cholesterol clarity, hopefully we scared you half to death to ever want yeah. vegetable oils because they are highly inflammatory and causing all sorts of problems. Yes, they're lowering your LDLC, but at the expense of increasing your inflammation. So yeah, be very careful and be very mindful. Mayonnaise is not healthy, even though it's high fat, it's all omega-6 fat. So you got to be discerning about what you mean by high fat. And we try to give people good uh, guidance on that and keto clarity. It's uh, I, I couldn't agree, except 
when you make mayonnaise with brain octane oil, it changes the equation because and baking <laughs> it, it doesn't. You don't want that olive oil flavor mayonnaise. I, I for right. years experimented with like the right way to make mayo, and right. you end up having a hand blender and doing every little thing possible. But getting it with the right flavor is possible with just the right amount of vinegar, a pinch of mustard. But right. it, you buy that, that commercial stuff; it's oftentimes full of sugar as well. But right. what would happen, Jimmy, if someone said, "All right, I'm gonna I want to go to corn oil ketosis." Because you can do that, right? Like, like you, just walk me yeah. through the two-week process of someone who's basically drinking corn oil every day as the primary source of fat. So, yeah, you could do that. It'd be highly unpalatable to me. I would <laughs> rather have butter. But, um, Amen. yeah, you could do that. But what's going to start to happen is, and, and your lipids will improve. You'll have LDL cholesterol come down like a champ. And you may even see a bump up slightly in your HDL cholesterol, uh, obviously trying to be ketogenic. That's going to help with that. But the problem is it starts becoming inflammatory, like we were just talking about. And so inflammation is a big, I guess, anti-ketogenic property. You know, you'll be having two fighting forces at the same time, the ketosis, which is anti-inflammatory, but then the corn oil would be inflammatory. Before long, the inflammatory state's going to overtake you. The the bottom line is don't do that. (laughs) Drink bulletproof coffee, uh, you know, have your, your butter with your meals, uh, yeah. you know, make your own mayonnaise. We actually included a recipe for making mayonnaise in the book. So, uh, yeah, there's ways to make it happen, but definitely not with the omega-6 seed oils. Would you be concerned if someone used olive oil as their primary fat? A little. Uh, yeah, only too. because a lot of the olive oils that are on the grocery store shelves today are not 100% olive oil, they can legally, speaking of the FDA, they can legally put omega-6 vegetable oils in up to 40% in some of these olive oils. So be very careful about olive oil. And I just hate the taste of it personally. Yeah. I'd rather cook with, you know, coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, avocado oil, though, and, and butter. Uh, did I mention butter? Uh, I even butter my bacon. I'm just kidding. So... <laughs> You, you want to get the right kinds of fats. So olive oil, yeah, if you must, but there are better ways to get fat in your diet. There's a study out of UC Davis that said that 69% of olive oil they tested on the shelf wasn't all olive oil. Right. And so I, I do use a little bit of it for flavor. I never cook it because it oxidizes right. easily. And right. I'll actually, like on a salad, I'll pour MCT and then I'll drizzle olive oil. Because yeah. I don't want that much omega six anyway. Even though the taste of olive oil is really nice, I, I just I, I would be concerned. And I, I have a lot of people when they first come uh, to the blog, and you probably do too. Where like, but I thought olive oil was healthy because I somehow yeah. got the memo that canola was bad, so I switched to olive. And it's like, well, it's healthy-ish, but okay. <laughs> we are coming up on the end of the show. I'm just looking at the clock real quick, and you've already answered the top three questions. What are the things most important for kicking ass at life and making more bulletproof? So I'm going to modify this. Please. What are your top three recommendations for people to go into ketosis? Just top three most important things if if you want to get in fast and stay in. Sure. Uh, Well, it's going to be real easy because it's kind of the the three-legged stool we talked about. Mm. But finding your carb tolerance, you absolutely have to do that first. If you're not watching the level of carbohydrates that you're consuming. And it's going to vary. I mean, I'm as low as 30. There's some people lower than me. There's some people that are athletes that can have 125, you know, 150 and still be in ketosis. I know Ben Greenfield talks about that himself. So it's not going to be a, well, uh, what's the right level of carbs for me? I have no idea. You kind of have to figure that out for yourself. Get out your glucometer. Let's see what's going on in the blood sugar after you eat a, a given carb and see what happens. So test that and see. So that's that's number one. That's the absolute must. In fact, in, um, in Keto Clarity, we provide a, uh, an acronym to help you remember all this, Keto, K-E-T-O. So the K in Keto stands for keep carbs low. So uh, then the E is eat more fat, which we've been talking about <laughs> the right kinds of fats. So you've got to eat the saturated mostly and monounsaturated fats, get your omega-3s in there, avoid the omega-6s as much as possible. So that's uh, that's the second letter in keto uh, is eat more fat. T is the test ketones often, which we talked about, all the various ways that you can do that. And definitely don't assume you're in ketosis just because you're doing all the things that we talked about. You really have to test to know where you stand. 
And then the O, which is, I'm cheating because you said three, but there's four in keto. O is overdoing protein is bad, which we've exhausted all the reasons why, but just find that protein threshold level. And if you do that, you'll be a, a what, what would you like to say? A kick-ass a keto a bulletproof man. I, I love <laughs> or, it. Or woman. <laughs> so, Jimmy, your two books, Cholesterol Clarity is the first one, and the second one, Keto Clarity, are, are well worth reading. If you regularly enjoy this podcast, this is the kind of stuff you'll like. Because it's not just Jimmy writing. It's that, Jimmy, you've gone out and you've done sort of what you do in your own podcast. And what I do is you, you talk to the experts. You bring them onto the show and bring them into the book and really, really dig in on the topic. So I, I really like the way you're pulling the content together in those books. And they're, they're well-referenced, well-researched, and maybe a different spin than you get from just reading you know, one point of view. It, it's pretty well-balanced, and you certainly have an agenda to educate people about it. But um, hats off for for producing really good quality content. Thank you. And we're, uh, we're excited about our next Clarity book. I'm not, not going to tell you about it just yet, but it'll be a big topic in health. And uh, Dr. Westman's already agreed to sign on again, and we'll have lots of moment of Clarity quotes from the experts again. So uh, thank you for having me on your show. You got it. Uh, tell people your URLs for the books or any other things you want them to know so they can find you. You're pretty easy got to find. But. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Keto Clarity, we have a book uh, website, ketoclarity.com. That's K-E-T-O. We also have one for Cholesterol Clarity, cholesterolclarity.com. And then if you want to find me, livinlavidalowcarb.com, or if that's too much to remember, just Google Jimmy Moore and I'm the whole first page. <laughs> nice. Not a lot of people can say they're the whole first page of Google, Jimmy. I've been doing this a while. <laughs> Thanks again for coming on the show and uh, sharing your knowledge. And just for keeping at this you know, for a very long time, you've been a voice of reason and, uh, and a true gentleman uh, while you're doing it. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Have you heard about our new Brain Octane Oil? It goes far beyond upgraded MCT or any other coconut product for creating maximum cognitive function. It's 18 times stronger than coconut oil, and it's what I put in my Bulletproof coffee every single day. If you haven't felt the difference between upgraded MCT and brain octane oil, you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.